Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Englert. I am solo co-hosting. We're here with our producer, Nathan Yoder, brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. You can read the shirt. Um, today, we are continuing our reconciliation series. Um, we're asking the question, why does reconciliation matter to music? And the part of this series is, of course, we know we're having a conversation about racial reconciliation, but reconciliation in Christianity has everything to do with forgiveness, has to do with poverty. Um, there's an overarching idea of reconciliation that we want to capture in certain areas of culture. And today we get to interview my teammate, my neighbor, my friend, <laughs> Jason Harris. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Pete. It's great to be on today. Well, um, for those of our listeners that don't know who you are, why don't you just share a little bit about your history, where you're from, and how you landed at Browncroft? Yeah, I'm originally from South Jersey, which is the southern part of New Jersey, um, which is outside Philadelphia. I was born and raised there. I'm a pastor's kid, and my mom was a music teacher. Um, and so I kind of have melded both of their careers into one. Um, but was raised in South Jersey, then um, for college, moved out to Taylor University and all of these places have done a great job because I love the history with them and I love um, that I've got to be a part of them, but they've also pushed me on to the next thing. And so um, Taylor's in the middle of a cornfield. I love my four years there, but I am so thankful that I do not live full time there. Um, and my um, undergrad is actually not in music, it's in elementary education. So I moved back to New Jersey after that. And um, I was a teacher for five years. I taught uh, math and English. And then I also got the opportunity to coach. Um, so I was a high school track coach for a handful of years. And then eventually felt the call to ministry um, throughout the entire time. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk about uh, music was has always been a, a core part of my life. But um, really in that, the call to, to ministry, I, I left um, New Jersey again for the second time and moved out to Southern California, um, where I attended Fuller Seminary. Um, that was over a decade ago now, and then have been at Browncroft uh, really ever since then. So up in Rochester, New York, where it's snowing in April. <laughs> it is snowing in April. Well, I love that history. That was uh, really um, just kind of concise. How did music really relate to you? You talked about your mom being a teacher where, you know, maybe bring us to some of those points where music intersected, even though it wasn't a career for you. Yeah. So music was always a part of our household. Um, and so I remember uh, growing up as a, a young boy with my mom always playing piano in our house. Um, either giving pianos or piano lessons or uh, preparing something even for church or just um, for, you know, furthering education. Um, and uh, my grandmother, I even think back of, of her and she said, Jason, you always had music in your bones. Every time that music would come on, you start dancing as a little kid, not as a 20 something as much. Um, but yeah, it, it was just always a part of our house. And so uh, I think that was an important part of just being raised in a culture that had an awareness and a value of music. And then my dad is musical as well. And then with our uh, small little church in um, South Jersey, 
um, music was a, a core part of just the culture there um, as well. And so, uh, you know, as a part of our worship identity and worship culture, um, my dad, as the the pastor of the church, was also at the time, especially when I was younger, um, was also the primary worship pastor. He mm-hmm. led the songs. Um, and so, and I still remember uh, some of the funny things of, well, it's funny now that I look back, like him directing the congregation. Um as he as he led the songs, and so then as I aged um, into our, our house, uh, music became not just something that I heard, but more than something that was more of an expression, um, an expression of kind of personal identity, especially at first. And so um, that started both with piano lessons, and then eventually uh, guitar, um, and then always uh, singing because I've been singing probably since I was born. So. Yeah, that's the. Well, no, that's um, that's really helpful. Um, you know, so one of the reasons I want to interview you is, um, you know, if you're unchurched or dechurched, you know, you might have heard stories. Churches have weird relationships with music. Like, there's times that I can look back in my life, and you know, I I think about hearing a song and it brought people together. There's other times my grandma god rest her soul in heaven that you know the worship leader said we're going to be really loud because the kids are here and she was you know for about 50 years offended by that so um i guess from your experience you know your dad has a great influence your mom has a great influence you were leading worship with them even to serving in california what was it like music being a a challenge and an opportunity for reconciliation from kind of those two chapters of your life? Well, music is interesting in that I think I think it emotes, uh, it causes us to emote. It gets to a different part of just um, our identity beyond just having like a conversation in many cases. Um, there's this book, Musicophilia, where um, he talks about where even people in a vegetative state, you start playing something, a music, uh, a piece of music from when they were in their teens or early 20s, and all of a sudden they come alive and they start tapping their feet. Um, and so I think music strikes to a, a deeper core of both who we are um, and who we claim our identity to be in many ways. And so I think when you take that and then it also even broaden it a little bit, there is in music a, a, an experience, an expression of a community, of a culture. Um, and so it's not something that you just have personally, but also everyone that's in the room. Um, but everybody culturally, we are different. Um, and so I think the the hardship in many, many cases is, you know, we have a billion radio stations on, you know, on both the radio and online, digital radio, Spotify, all of that kind of stuff for a reason, because we all connect with a different song. And there's usually some kind of reason um, that we can harken back to like a favorite song. There's a reason why we all don't have the same favorite song. Um, and so I, we take that and then when we come to the church and we have to almost um, take that and put it together. Mm. Um, we have to take that and say, okay, now that we all have you know different expressions, different identities, different cultures, and how do we come and come together with one voice? Mm. Um, I think an interesting kind of analysis um, of the church, and the, uh, we can go into to different places, but like at a, a concert, um, everybody is there 
you know, cheering on or singing the same songs. Um, and there is almost like a spiritual experience sometimes when you have like everybody in the room is singing their favorite song. Um, but it's all after one artist. Um, and so, and many people, when you look around, have the same, you know, cultural background, even the same like demographic background that's at that, um, that concert. And as the church, we take that all together and we, we have to almost release our personal identity to some um, expression to then bring it together um, with a, a corporate body. So when I think about um, my own personal relationships in, in Southern Jersey first, in South Jersey, um, we went through the worship wars. We went through the transition of um, having hymns, but then also say, how do we um, relate in worship um, specifically, how do we take the the language of the people, the expression of God? How do we relate the truth of God, and then how do we put it to a language that is um, similar to the heart language and the head language of our congregation? Um, and so, it was a, a transition, um, and even um, not one that you have one that has a clean end um, all the time. But, uh, you know, we introduced um, bands into, we introduced at one time choirs and then bands and then, um, you know, and then as we go through that, it was all about trying to give our congregation an effective heart language to express um, their their thankfulness, their glory to God, uh, the glory of God. So, yeah, and then going into um, that same story. So when I left that South Jersey church, we did have two different worship styles. We had a traditional hymn-based worship style and then one that and that had just piano music, no choir, but just piano. And then um, we had a, a worship band style service. So you had two different, in many cases, congregations um, being led by different worship pastors, um, the same senior pastor, so the same kind of primary voice, but but two different people leading. And then uh, when I went to Los well, Angeles, hold okay, on, let, go let's ahead. Come at, what did that do to you? And like, what did that do to your dad to feel like there's two different churches? I think I was too young. I was I was young and old enough to see kind of the pain that it calls the church, um, because there were so many. Um, it was just seemed very divisive. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I mean, we're talking about when I was in my early teens at this stage. I was also thankful that I had a voice in our church service mm-hmm. for the first time. Like I understood what the songs were, and I felt a personal connection to the songs that we were singing and I could understand the language that was being used and even the um, the structure of the songs kind of um, made more sense to me. At the same time, you have people of a, a different generation or different preference that had that same feeling about the other service. Um, and so it was it was hard, I think, for my dad, especially to to navigate that. Um, it, it I know it wasn't easy. It was very hard. Um, and it was something even through the rest of his tenure, um, that it was still, um, how do we honor both services? Um, how do we honor both preferences and worship styles, um, um, and make sure that there is value to both of them. Mm -hmm. So now take us 
I mean, you almost had a mirror experience in Los Angeles. Yeah, it was multiplied. Um, <laughs> so I got the the, the privilege really um, to to work at a fantastic church in in California while I was in seminary. I was one of the worship assistants, um, and it was a, a larger church um, that had multiple worship pastors on staff, uh, and I got to kind of be an assistant in one of them. And so I think our our worship staff was probably around 12 to 15 people. Um, and so, but at that church, there are four different services with four different worship styles, um, with four different um, languages, heart languages, and expressions of worship. Um, and that wasn't just music, um, but it was primarily music. There were some other things in um, readings, but the sermon was pretty much identical in all th- four services. Um, and uh, th- the times were very different and I, as well, and that has a little bit to do with that from Saturday night to Sunday night to Sunday morning. Um, but the primary difference really was the worship style. Um, and I, it, it was interesting because I don't know if there's a, 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 you know, a solution to this um, per se, but in, in that case, you had basically four different churches within one roof. Um, you had worship pastors that worked together um, and generally worked together really well, but had very different, um, you know, expressions of worship. And then you, they had their own congregations and congregations were generally picking which service to go to because the sermon was the same um, by what worship expression they great, like they preferred. Um, and so the the problem with that is then you ended up with, you know, a a unique expression um, within each service, but and a, a unique culture. Um, the problem was there wasn't. I think the one problem that I, as I look back, of like what what struck me that didn't work um, in that environment is just a general respect and unity of the larger body. Um, there was more of a like I prefer this service over this service because of the music, and it was more of a superiority of. I choose this because this is greater than, less than, like, this is my preference and I love this, but I also respect and love all of these other expressions as well. Um, but it, it became more of a, a battle, even for battle for resources and attendance. And so you'd have a, a little bit of just service competition um, that I think, especially within one church, um, wasn't always the healthiest. Um, and so uh, even... As I look back at that, it, it, the worship pastors were coming together and said, how do, we, how do we wrestle with this? How do we lead and not necessarily take away from the expression that you know we were called to lead at that time, but how do we get beyond that to value and make sure that there was value, not just of the four primary expressions that they had, but also beyond them? Um, how do we get into like different cultural languages or even different expressions within our primary culture? Um, as the, especially the city that we were called to serve and the unique area that that church was called to serve was changing. Um, and so those conversations, um, you know, I was in the midst of kind of some of that wrestling, um, which was really cool as the area that this church was in um, was changing culturally as well. You, you said two things that I think it'd be helpful to define for our listeners First, the worship wars, then heart language. How, how do you define those two things? So heart language um, is a, a language that you, it's 
kind of close to your personal identity, I think. Um, a heart language is how God has spoken to you, or really, even if you take it outside of the church context, just what is your, um, you know, expression um, and what do you identify with when it comes to music? A lot of times this heart language, and it's not just music, but it's also when you were growing up, a lot of times in your teens into 20s, um, what was going on in the world? Because we're shaped by that. What was going on in your house? What was going on around, along culturally? And we're kind of shaped by these things. And then because of them, there's an expression that comes out of them. Mm-hmm. Um even when you talk about like the songs that were are written in many cases um, are um, a response to something going on, either in your life or something going on culturally. Um, and so that heart language is how do you personally then w- connect with that music? And then how does, and you t- take it into worship, how does God then use that um, into to glorify him? So if you look at different cultures, um, so the greatest generation, um, those that are in their you know, 80s, 90s, went through World War II. A lot of the songs that were written, especially for worship at that time, were all about kings, were all about valor, because you're coming off of World War II. Mm. Um, and so even when you come into um, different like generations of like the 60s and 70s, you have a lot of love and peace, and because it was culturally relevant to really be talking about that. Now, all of these are... Um, important gospel truths, um, but we kind of latch a hold of of one thing that speaks to kind of our our need at that time. Even now, we're talking about like the God of justice, um, and how does how does that impact? Because that's something that we're crying out for um, as a as a culture. And when we do that, like that is who God is, and so that is an important aspect, and that needs to be a part of our worship. Um, and so. Our heart language is one those things that we connect with um, as we go through. So, yeah, um, and our personal expression. And then worship wars are kind of what do we do when you have people of different heart languages under the under one roof? And how do we reconcile that together? Um, because one song may speak to one person, um, and God can really use that to impact their lives. Um, and the other person... It's like, I don't even understand the chord progression or how in the world we can sing that or what what are the instruments on the stage? I don't understand that instrumentation at all. Or there might even be something that is a disconnect of like, oh, well, I've seen that only in other environments. And so what the worship wars are in some ways are an attempt to reconcile um, in many ways historically um, it. when we're using the worship wars, it's in our kind of, um, uh, in many ways, it's kind of the the hymn to the contemporary modern band. But it's also in the same time, it's always happened throughout the church. Like organs, when they were first introduced to the church, were were burned because they had polyphonic things and they could, you know, you could play different melodies at the same time. And in the same time, like when Gregorian chant was first introduced, it was labeled the devil because it was new and um, we don't, how can God use this? And so there's always been these kind of tensions of transition of how we express within music um, our own kind of personal identity and then how did God meet us in that. Music is in many ways kind of the tool for God to work and for us to express. So... Um 
you know, this week that we're doing this episode, this is coming out in May, um, the Derek Chauvin case and, um, you know, the Daniel Floyd verdict has come out. You've had a whole year. We interviewed Colin, um, who's, you know, one of our teammates, interviewed Marvin Mumford, you know, and I, I don't think people probably understand Sunday's coming. And, you know, how are you and the team that you serve thinking through this Sunday, thinking through, you know, you've had a lot of like something happened. I mean, something happens on Friday. How do we address it? And so I guess I'm just kind of curious, how are you kind of looking, you brought up the God of justice. How are you looking at this Sunday when we're recording? Yeah, I think the 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 big thing that when we're, we're leading a congregation is both, how do you play the short game? How do you play the long game? Mm-hmm. Knowing that the long game is what really matters. Um, and so, but you have, you know, the long game is made up of instances of every Sunday. Um, and so, you know, right now we're looking at, okay, where do we hope to be in three, six months? Who do we need to talk to? What are the different songs that we need to be introducing as our as a congregation or that we feel um, God is, is using both in our nation um, and then also God could be using as a part of our, our voice as a church um, in this immediate day. And then... Um, you know, not just songs, but even like the prayer times that we have in church. Um, what what do we want to be teaching our congregation over the next three, six months, maybe even longer? And then pulling it back to, you know, things of like this week. Um, it, it's keeping in mind that you, you are walking with people and there's everyone is at a different place. But at the same time, as a pastor, you're leading a, a, a flock, you're shepherding. And so you have to say, okay, we're going to point, we're going to go in this direction, and we have to slowly, hopefully, move everybody along um, in in one direction. So, you know, we probably, sometimes you do need to t- take a moment um, in the service, acknowledge, um, you know, the pain of the moment. Um, you have to acknowledge even just where we're at, and then as a congregation, as individuals, and then hopefully, you know, chart a path um, forward so that you can, you know, be at a different place in three, six months, even years, um, and look back and it's like, okay, hey, we've been we've been charting this destination. Um, so that's what I would. I think it's it's dangerous sometimes to get crazy on um, and overcompensate, in especially in a worship service to whatever's happening in the culture of the day. Um, I think you have to prayerfully say, okay, God, how do we lead our people and what what are we wrestling with? But at the same time, you can't ignore um, some of the big things that are happening because that's where we all live. We live in today. Um, and so you have to be able to address that as simultaneously charting the long path. So. so I guess kind of backing up, when has music played a reconciliation role, you know, in your life? Um <laughs> you know, obviously you've been through a lot and even just sharing there, there's a tension of at times we need to lean into the issues, but at other times we actually need to like, um, we need to lean into God. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to separate those two because those yeah. two can go together, but I don't know. Is there a point in your life when you felt like music was part of reconciliation? Yeah, actually I think music was part of my reconciliation with God. Um, and so when I was 16, I was in a car accident and, uh, and there was a lot of just unknowing. I mean, I was hurt, but my dad 
was very hurt a lot of my family members because it was a family car accident um and so we we really were wrestling and i was really wrestling with okay like god how could you do this um type of you know just wrestling and you, you wrestle a lot in your teenage years i think as i was brought up in the church so you're kind of making your faith your own in many ways and about that same time i had just started picking up guitar um i'd played piano before that um and then i also began songwriting and so and that songwriting for me was a chance to have that kind of personal expression in many cases prayers um and so i think writing songs um allowed me and gave me a voice and a, a chance to kind of wrestle and reconcile with God the things that were happening um, or the things that had happened uh, and gave me a chance to um, process in a kind of different lens. Um, And so, and then even to be able uniquely to then share those songs, um, whether they were worship songs, some of them were, or just songs that no one needed to ever hear, um, but they were part of just, you know, my own processing um, and prayer life. Um, I think, you know, especially, I think the first couple years, especially, um, many of the songs that I played were songs that I wrote and they were kind of prayers um, of not just reconciliation of um, coming, you know, more about deepening a relationship um, that even through trials and even through not understanding a lot of things to write songs of, you know, faithfulness and truth um, and love, um, I think were uh, important, especially in that stage of my life. So one of the occupational hazards of like doing the job with your passion is like, there's no separation of, am I listening to this for work or for pleasure? So as you think about this past year and we're thinking about, you know, we're thinking about racial reconciliation, we're thinking about COVID, we're thinking about politics, you know, what songs, I mean, just off the top of your head, if you were to give people a playlist, what songs are helping you process this past year? I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, cause a lot of times I, yeah, I don't know if I can process that way. There is so much. Um, yeah, I've actually started listening to a lot of country music, which I don't think is helping anything, but just because (laughs) I like the story, um, and I like songs that tell stories, uh, not just like they, they go somewhere. So I don't think that's actually helping anything in. But what, uh, what, what country songs? (laughs) No, we're not going there. Um, (laughs) because they're all, there's also super silly ones. Um, yeah, but. I, I don't I don't think I can come up with any particular ones right now. Um, but I, there is a, a unique um, thing that you mentioned of like it is kind of an occupational hazard because you have to like the first time or second time that you're listening to a song. Um, I'm also usually dissecting like what are they actually saying? What's the progression? What? How did they record this? What's the instrumentation? Where's it going? What's the hook? all of that kind of stuff. So it usually takes a couple times through to like appreciate. Yeah. That's... How, how, about, how about this one? Um, what's a new worship song that you're excited to share with the church? Um, Lord Son Revival. 
um, is a new one that we're actually introducing this weekend um, in April. Um, and uh, several of the songs that we're going to be introducing um, over the next couple months are really about this longing um, and almost desperation for God to send his spirit. Um, there's this kind of place where you can go and you go like, we can't go any further. Like we can't even push any further. God, we need you to lead. And that's a, a place, um, even at Browncroft, we've been talking a lot about surrender through some of the series that we've been through through recently. And it's at that place of surrender that you really need to almost start. Um, because we can't, we, a lot of times you can get in front of God and kind of do it your own way or even have great things that you're going for. Um, but you just, you're doing it before God's saying it's time. And so, yeah, Lord's and Revival is one, um, that I think is just a song that's a, a cry out, I think for, for right now where we're at, because there is hurting, um, and there is a need. And so, yes, there are songs that we need to sing that are songs of victory and songs of joy. We need to be singing them even in the pain, um, or even in the, you know, this season that, you know, they're, they're, I think it's important through the last year, um, 2020 to be singing songs like still in control songs of God's faithfulness in the unknown. Mm. Um, and so, uh, I think that was important. And now I think, you know, as we enter into this, this year, it's more of that kind of, can we get to a place of desperation for God to move? Um, and I think that's important for us as a church. So when you and I are relatively the same age, um, you know, um, I'm going to use a Greek term here, you know, uh, Christian music, the perception was it sucked. Um, and now I feel like there's like worship music. It could be on anybody's playlist because of Hillsong and things like that. And, and I guess I'd want to know from you, what is Christianity given to music that someone who's de-churched or unchurched, you know, that you would want to help them understand. Because when you and I were kids, like we used to have this chart, you mm -hmm. know, I don't know if you remember this, Delirious is from the UK and they're just like you too. And yeah. we would try to, and now all of a sudden like worships its own genre mm -hmm. that people listen to with everything. So I, I don't know, what is Christianity given to music? Well, I think, like looking back, the majority of music before really the last couple centuries was all birthed from the church, mm. um, primarily. Um, it, I mean, especially if you're thinking about like Western Civ, um, you know, a lot of the the music. The, I think the over hundreds of years though, um, the difference became, and I think the church in general, um, you know, lost its voice of the people and became you know, high church, the voice of the people only. Um, and so, and it kind of took away the the congregational voice in some ways. Um, and out of that became the, the birth of pop music. Um, and then you get into like the 18th century and you have Wesley taking pop songs, folk songs, um, and putting Christian lyrics because they were the songs that people knew and people were singing. Um, because the, the songs of the church were so, sung only in church by, you know, the highly trained and selected choir members or whoever. Um, and so I think, you know, some of what we're trying to do today is kind of reclaim that identity. Um, even 
in the worship movements um, of really the last many decades, um, but even beyond that, into the hymn that he was kind of reclaiming the congregational voice, um, mm. giving it uh, a cultural language, cultural expression that matched the heart of that day. Um, and so that's why Wesley wrote, it's like, what's the folk songs that they're singing in the bars? Okay, let's put music to that same tune and put lyrics to express our theology. Um, and so I think today uh, what we're, we're hoping to do and trying to do is kind of reclaiming that where, you know, pop music and even who was pushing the envelope of like um, who was providing the language that our kids are listening to sadly largely isn't the church. Um, and so how do we reclaim that and get out in front and become culture makers, be, become creatives um, that aren't driven by industry? Um, because, you know, the, the danger, especially right now, is to write a song, like even right now, should we write a song about reconciliation? Like, we should be singing that. Um, I mean, maybe we should, and that's not a bad thing. But at the same time, I think as a songwriter, particularly, you should be writing songs of what's on your heart and let the what it's about kind of follow instead of kind of being utilitarian and kind of okay well we can market this one and i think you have to be careful especially as a church because it will come across as false if it's not actually something that you're you're really working through as a as a christian as as that's in your heart um and so um i think even in in writing and some of the writers that write some of our songs it's important to hear the story behind it Mm. because if not it 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 would come across as like oh you're just writing this song because you're trying to make a buck even within the church yes that can happen um but really i think it's important to hear the story of how the songs came about and mm. how it was out of a devotion or out of a reading uh, or out of a sermon or out of a prayer time that you know this song was written or the primary part was was birthed um because I think it's out of our heart that it has to flow as songwriters. So what I'm kind of hearing from you is you have a song like Jesus Loves Me that is like the easiest, most singable song. Um, and that's kind of a song of the people. Mm -hmm. But you also want to have this creative excellence that people kind of feel like I'm part of something bigger. And it just sounds like you're trying to manage all of this while you have your own preferences. Mm -hmm. I mean, is, is that kind of accurate? Yeah, it is. It, I mean, I think even worship leading, worship leadership has to flow from my heart. Mm. Like it has to flow from where I'm at. Mm. Um, and so I, I've always said like, I can't be a worship leader that I'm not. Um, I can't do certain things. Now I can sing songs that I don't personally connect with and lead because I, as I look at the corporate body, it's like, yes, as a corporate body and as a pastor, we should be singing this. This mm -hmm. this reflects who I'm called to lead at this time. But I think, um, you know, as a worship leader, it has to flow out of a, a time and of awareness and a, a personal relationship and a worship relationship with God. Um, and then kind of flow from there. Um, but yeah, and then we're always looking at of like, okay, what's the creative expression? We're called to be creators. God has made us to be creators. And so, um, you know, it, it's both giving a voice 
for the people and sometimes being the voice of the people. Mm. Um, and so it's kind of a both and. Um, so Jesus loves me. My, I, I love when, you know, we're in the car um, and my kids start singing different worship songs that we've sung in church or sung at home. And even if they don't get all the words right, um, but that they have melodies that have stuck. And I think that super like um, Living Hope um, is one of them that when we were preparing that song, I think we sang it a couple weeks ago, um, when my wife and I are, we just sing in the house um, and then our kids start singing along with it. Um, that is, you know, super cool because it's something that it's okay. That's going down to like the Jesus loves me, um, this I know um, type of uh, song. And it's like, okay, that's the one that we want. If our kids can sing it in the car, hopefully we can sing it together as adults in the church. Well, move over Jackson 5. Here comes the Harris 5. Yeah, there yeah. we go. We don't... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, let me... What opportunity does music have in reconciliation? And again, when when I define reconciliation, even for this series, yes, it's racial reconciliation, but it's also forgiveness. It's also, mm -hmm. you know, we've been in shutdown. You know, what what does that look like to pursue reconciliation through music? Yeah, reconciliation, I think, is kind of like a restoration of a relationship. And that can mean a whole lot of things. Um, and I think, you know, it can be just a, a restoration in a relationship with, with God. Um, but it also can be with each other. And there's different um, relationships. So I think what music can play, um, music often gives us a language that we don't readily have. It gives us um, a means, and a lot of songs that we sing in church, it's giving us uh, a verse, mm -hmm. a, um, a chorus that we want to say, but we're honestly not creative to think about it. And at the same time, it gives us a voice that we can all say together corporately. Because I think there is a difference between there is a difference between personal worship and corporate worship, and and so just the ability um, in reconciliation also to come together um, in corporate worship to say yeah we all have things coming and going in our lives we are all at different places and stages in our faith in you know whatever's going on in our lives but we can come together and sing these songs of truth. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think kind of getting back to our core identity in Christ um, is important to, to be able to, to have a, a chorus that we can latch onto as a church and sing out, um, I think is key because there's a unifying experience when you're all singing together. And I think it's part of that both emotion that God can use, but also that experience of, of oneness singing um, you know, a, a chorus, um, a prayer, um, even sitting in, in silence or, or offering a prayer collectively um, as a church, there's, that's unifying. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the church beyond just a service can be using some of that same, you know, unifying experiences, whether that's in service, um, you know, serving together is a great way, honestly, to reconcile with others. Because if it's a way... Um, to just be partnering side by side, to be in, you know, the Lord's business or just be doing something together. Um, it, it shows kind of a oneness and a collectiveness that we're, we're, we're moving together, that there's an, an empathy toward each other. Um, and, uh, and hopefully out of like the songs that we sing, the, the times that we serve the, the collective body that we can really dive in. And once we have kind of that respect that we are for each other and, uh, we all are, unified in Christ, that we can then take that um, 
and kind of resolve some of the other other kind of what hopefully become um, lesser than parts of who we are because we share a oneness in Christ. Uh, they don't have to be Christian. They don't have to be worship. But you know, what are some songs that you think best uh, help people understand reconciliation? I mean, when I was thinking about this one, uh, this question, the the song that keep coming up kept coming up was "Amazing Grace." Mm-hmm. Um, one because of you know now it's hundred years old, but also how it's been able to be used and influence different cultures, different generations. Um, and speak to different people at different times. Mm. Um, and it, it also talks about our core identity in Christ. Um, and so it starts there. Um, but then it also like as knowing kind of the story of the song, it didn't just stop with the song, but it was a life's work in many ways um, within reconciliation of, of, you know, different cultures um, and, you know, bringing up, uh, just uh, the worth of of all people, um, and so I think uh, being that the heart of it, and then also saying that hey, we're all sinners that are fallen short, and that you know that's the the story, um, but we can sing about the amazing grace of God. So hopefully, as we live in that grace, that we can also have grace with each other, um, working toward you know reconciliation. Mm. Well. Um we always end this podcast, and you've got to go pick up your kids, so that's I why do. we're. <laughs> so uh, we always end this podcast with the question: What does Jesus have to say about this topic? I'll go first, and then, uh, like what I tell all of our guests, you can clean up anything I mess up. So um, you know, I think I think listening to this. Um, so I've been listening to the song Highlands a ton, and you know, it's based on the Psalms of Ascent, and you know, we talk about Jesus walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I just think music has a way to connect us with the reality of what Jesus walked through Mm -hmm. that rarely anything else can. So, you know, if you're a black brother or sister, like we don't just say, trust Jesus. You know, we say, hey, like Jesus has been where you at, been where you are, and we should be walking with you. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you have COVID or you've been affected by that, like Jesus walks with you in your grief. And in some ways, these verses that have now become music all of a sudden connect us on this powerful Mm -hmm. level that even if I don't understand, I can begin to have more compassion and empathy. So I think that's what I'm leaving with. I was thinking of Revelation 7, 9, where all tongues, all tribes, all nations are coming together and saying salvation belongs to our God. Um, because I, we're going to strive after that kind of, this is a picture in heaven where everybody's kind of joined together. Um, and that, you know, no matter what, even language that you're speaking, that you're joined together in worship of our God. And I think that picture is a picture of reconciliation where we're joined under just the the Lord's salvation and all of the things that we wrestle with right now kind of not that they're secondary but they pass away and when we're talking about the the collective like when we're in heaven in the presence of God hopefully and yeah the only thing that's going to matter is that we're in the presence of God. Mm. Um, and so if we can kind of go after, hey, God made us, our identity is in Christ, that's where we start. 
we start worshiping. We start saying, hey, salvation belongs to our God. We're going to worship together. And out of that, with that kind of shared identity in Christ, now let's wrestle with the things that actually are secondary. Um, and let's listen to each other. Let's work together with empathy, knowing that, hey, we have this shared identity. Um, but it's also this perfect picture of a worship service where you have everybody um, from everywhere joining together. Um, that it doesn't even matter if they have if they speak the same language, that they're in the same culture, that you know, um, they're just all coming together with one purpose. Mm. And I think, you know, us as a church, how do we, you know, let the other things fade away and come together as you know, as the church. That, to share the love of the gospel with those who don't know um, mm. or um, even just with each other mm. sometimes. So, yeah, that was the, the thing of reconciliation with music, especially um, that was on my mind. Yeah. What a way to close. Uh, thank you so much. You can follow Jason. We're going to be tagging him. Um, he loves being tagged. Um, and uh, you can also see services with him at promcroft.org. Why God Why wants to say a huge thank you because Jason's our production leader. Um, so big thank you on that. Um, to follow us, go to whygodwhypodcast.com. Subscribe there. Thank you so much for being a part of this series. Yeah, thank you for having me, Pete.